Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Game. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. However, I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be talking about the best defensive team in all of football, your Kansas City Chiefs, on episode 87 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the podcast focusing on sports in and around it of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am Blake Cripps, and we are not even going to get to the first segment before we bust out the hot take horn on my co-host, Mr. Tommy Castor, who literally complained about the defense for the first month of the season. And what does he do on Twitter during the Chiefs game? He says he is bored with the Chiefs game. Tommy, defend yourself. I don't think I have anything to really defend. Um, <laughs> what? I mean, I really don't. I don't know why that's worthy of the hot take horn. Uh, um, it is. I, I even retracted my statement. I don't know if you followed up on a future I, I tweet of mine. I did not. Um, I did as not soon as Dan Sorensen had that pick six, I quote tweeted myself and said, <laughs> never mind. I'm enjoying this game now. But yeah, for the, fir- the first half especially, you're going to tell me that wasn't a boring football game to watch? No. That was absolutely a boring football game to watch. It was not a boring football game. Sure it you're, was. You're like a millennial now. Like, oh my gosh, unless we have offense and everybody no. hasn't got a touchdown every single play. The Chiefs defense is playing well. How are you not... Yeah. Totally geeked out and pumped up, ready to run through a wall for Andy Reid and Dirty Dan Sorensen and Tyron Matthew. How are you not just totally juiced about how they're playing defensively? I mean, they're playing great football defensively. Now, I also want to go back to what you said at the beginning, that for the entire month, the first month of the season, I bagged on the Chiefs defense. Deservedly so. They played absolutely terrible defensively to start the season. The turnaround that we've seen from this team, I know we're going to get into it later, is nothing short of spectacular. It's unbelievable. I, I, I can't even believe it. What I can believe is that you can get our podcasts at cogpod.podomatic.com. That's 100% believable. And I also believe that's the best place to get the podcast each and every week. But if you've got another service like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google, so many other ones, we're all there. You can watch the videos, if you dare, on our Facebook page, Keeper of the Games. is at facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games or on our YouTube channel. And, of course, you can follow us at CogPod on Twitter. And if you wouldn't mind doing us a solid like, share, subscribe, maybe even share to a friend, maybe a friend who's moved out of the Wichita area and is desperate for some Wichita sports talk, because we actually do talk Wichita sports on this show, contrary to popular belief, uh, you might want to give them a heads up. Like, hey, these guys might be worth listening to. Really appreciate it. Coming up on the show today, Kansas State shucks the Shockers, and we'll get to some news and notes. It's been our a couple of weeks since our last show. By the way, this is our second-to-last show of the 2021 calendar year. We will have our Holiday Spectacular, which is going to be basically a regular show plus Weston Mills, So, <laughs> uh, which I realize, calling that a Holiday Spectacular, the hot take on myself. Nah, Weston, sorry, man. You're not that spectacular. But we are excited to have Weston back on the show, uh, our founder emeritus of the program, next week. So look forward to that dropping a week from today on Tuesday. But we have to begin today with the Chiefs defense, which 
as I said, they are basically the hottest thing in the NFL right now. Chiefs are 8-4. and four. They've had a run of defensive dominance as they beat the Broncos 22-9 on Sunday night football. On Sunday, Denver did not get a touchdown until the last five minutes of the game. They ran the ball fairly effectively. However, the Chiefs were able to overcome another lackluster offensive performance. Patrick Mahomes failed to throw a touchdown for just the fourth time in his career, but the defense picked off Teddy Bridgewater twice. Chiefs special teams picked up a fumble, and it was enough. A Juan Thornhill and Dirty Dan Sorensen interception. Dan had the pick six. Willie Gay Jr. Tyron Matthew led the Chiefs in tackles, and Denver was awful on third down in this game, four of 14. And the thing that I think I was most impressed with, Tommy, was the way that the Chiefs' defense seemed like they really controlled the game, even though Denver controlled the clock. They won time of possession pretty big. They won, I think, 33-30 for the Broncos. So they had the ball for well over half the game, about seven minutes more than the Chiefs did. But it didn't seem like the Chiefs were tired. It didn't seem like they were on the brink of collapsing. They didn't play well on that one scoring drive. It was late in the game. They were tired, and I get that. But other than that, the Chiefs' defense really, from the first snap all the way to the last snap, with very, very few blemishes and exceptions in between, was exceptionally solid. And it's ridiculous that we're even having this conversation based on what we were talking about literally a month ago in November about how the Chiefs have to figure it out defensively. When's the defense ever going to do anything? And now we're looking and saying, this is going to be the reason the Chiefs win the AFC West. Yeah, you look at the last four games for Kansas City, they allowed seven points against the Jordan Love-led Packers, 14 points against the Raiders, nine points against the Deck Prescott-led Dallas Cowboys, and seven points, I'm sorry, nine points against the Denver Broncos. Uh, what they've done defensively is just incredible when you look at the way that they played on the defensive side of the football to start off the season. There, there's no question about that. I think what was really telling to me in watching that game, especially in the first half, was how quickly the Chiefs defenders moved to the ball. Um, you know, the, the closing speed was faster than I think I've ever seen the Chiefs defense move. But a lot of that stems from Melvin Ingram. Um, and I think sure. what he's been able to do in his short time in Kansas City in re-energizing the defensive unit uh, c- cannot go unstated. Um, it, it's it's impressive. You know, he was kind of a, an afterthought in Pittsburgh. He was a guy that was brought in for the Steelers, really never found his way. Pittsburgh was trying to find a way to get him out of town. The Chiefs were able to pick him up, and he's had a rejuvenated second half of the season so far with Kansas City under Steve Spagnola. So um, I, I don't think you can overstate how important he's been to the Chiefs defense, but he's not the only guy. We talked last week or two weeks ago, I think, on the program about Willie Gay and what he's brought defensively to Kansas City. Um, You know, he's a guy that should be, in my opinion, a pro bowler for years to come for for Kansas City. be a pro Um, bowler this year if you're playing like this. Without a doubt, his impact uh, has been incredible. And then, of course, the usual suspects in Chris Jones and Teron Matthew, but Juan Thornhill has stepped up. I mean, he's 
He's had a couple of picks over the, his last couple of games. Um, that secondary is looking better than it has all season long. And again, just going back to what I said before, that closing speed has been so important. The energy, the effort that we've and seen from the Chiefs defense is huge. Is this a schematic yeah. difference for Kansas City? I almost think that this is just a between the eyes, like they're just playing with confidence. I, I don't. The, they've obviously made a schematic difference because they've changed where the personnel on the defensive line has lined up. That's the most notable, obvious change. But I just feel like you know, and I'm, neither one of us is a defensive expert. Didn't really play football on this show, but it just seems like them playing with confidence is just given them you know just a fearlessness of they're not worried about making a mistake they're going to go make a play and i think that's leading to exactly what you're talking about just really flocking and attacking the football and you know what i know we're going to get into talking about the offense here momentarily oh, but i think i think that some of it uh might have a little bit to do, and we talked about it on the show before, about how maybe the defense has always thought we don't have to play to our very best because we know that Patrick Mahomes and the offense are going to put up a ton of points, and it is what it is. That really hasn't happened this year, and the Chiefs Not have needed, they've needed their defense to step yes. up. I think that the importance that the defense has played in the success of the Chiefs moving forward is at a greater level than it has been in a long time. And so it makes me wonder if some of these guys realize that like, Hey, look, we are the game changers. Now we're not just the afterthought on this team. (laughs) It's not all about the offense anymore. We've got to make sure that we are playing to the top of our abilities and same thing with special teams too. I mean, you know, again, you want to talk about flying to the ball that, uh, that, that fumble return off that punt was flying to the ball for sure. (laughs) Uh, you know, so I, I think that that has something to do with it as well. The, the final point I want to make about the defense is that one of the old sayings in football is that the NFL season doesn't truly begin until after Thanksgiving. And so if the way that the defense is playing right now, if that has any indication on what things are going to look like for the rest of the season, I, I feel really good about where the Chiefs defense is at. Their two best games have come these last two weeks. If you look at expected points and sabermetric stats, their best two games have come in these last two weeks. And in fact, six of their best seven games have come in the last seven weeks. The only clunker they really had was that loss at the Titans. Started to turn things around against Washington, but we, you know, we were we poo-pooed it, and understandably so because of how bad they had been. They had been no better than minus 17 points expected on defense over the first five weeks. But over the last seven weeks, they had the clunker against Tennessee, but they have been positive each and every week. And the last two weeks. Plus 16 versus Dallas, plus 8 versus Denver, which brings us, Tommy, to the offense, which has had its worst stretch of the season over these last four weeks. Three of their last four games, negative expected points offensively. Now, they haven't had their worst game. That was, of course, against the Titans because the whole team just sucked against the Tennessee Titans, which at the time was not that big of a deal or a surprise because we both thought that Tennessee was a pretty good team. However... Outside of absolutely shellacking the Raiders, and they looked all-time great that game, for sure. Can't take that away from them. They've just been okay, and at times, really just not very good. Did not play well against the Packers. We both kind of agreed if Rodgers is there, you know, maybe looking back in hindsight as 2020 with how they're playing, maybe you can find a line and say, okay, 
If the Chiefs' defense gets a crack at Aaron Rodgers, maybe they can do something. There was no reason to believe that at the time. But looking back now, knowing what we know now, sure, maybe they can find a way. But offensively, against the Broncos, minus four. Patrick Mahomes throws another pick. I thought that there was some pretty shoddy receiver work in this game. Quite a few drops. One that would have been a first down that was why, as they say in the business, Tom, and I know what you know what this acronym means. W-A-O was how open that receiver was, and it's just dropped. It just seems like there's a lack of concentration, a lack of explosiveness in the running game, which there hasn't been, you know, the running game hasn't been tremendous all year. It's always just been just be good enough. And 24 for 89 with one touchdown honestly is good enough, but not when Patrick Mahomes is just a guy. And unfortunately, and I'm listen, I'm not saying to get rid of Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying that I am anything other than Patrick Mahomes is our generational next decade quarterback. But more often than not, this last month, he's been just kind of a guy. And at this point, I think you have to throw some caution on this offense and how consistent they are able to be. I think that they will be able to put up big points in certain games and show us what they did against Philadelphia, what they did a couple of weeks ago against the Raiders. However, the days of, at least for this season, of them just you know basically rolling out of bed and dumping 40 or 50 on people, I just don't have any confidence that that's going to happen this year for the rest of this season. I mean, you take away a Daniel Sorensen pick six, the final game. score is 15 to nine, uh, which is ugly. That's an ugly final score. In, Offensively, it's not pretty at all. In today's NFL, that's an ugly final score. Yes. Uh, I mean, look, like I, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. And, and I agree with your sentiments uh, to an extent. You know, I, I think that when you look at the final line that the Chiefs had offensively, 178 yards passing 89 rushing yards. I mean, they finished with under 300 offensive yards. That's the last time that happened. It's been a long time. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Denver's defense. They've got a pretty sure, solid defense. That's, you know, Vic Fangio is a defensive coach, and he, you know, he, he has coached this Broncos team to try to be a dominant defensive team week in and week out and rely on that and not on Teddy Bridgewater and the offense. Although... If you compare the yardage between both teams, Denver had over 400 yards of total offense, and the Chiefs' defense pretty much shut them down. You know, by like we talked about on third down and all of yeah, that. Yeah, they but, were just the Chiefs' defense was great on third down, great yeah, on third down. You know, but again, you, you take a look at. I mean, the Chiefs weren't all that better on third down. They were five of twelve uh, on he that had third a, down I throughout think the that course they had of the a game. Better I think Bridgewater had a better passer rating than Patrick yeah. Mahomes did. Yeah, I think he did. You know, and, like and 15 points or so. The Chiefs only ran 54 plays throughout the entire game. Now, a lot of it was, you know, the fact that uh, there was a lot of running that Denver did. They really leaned on Javante Williams quite a bit. Um, you know, but again, I do think that especially as we get deeper and deeper and deeper into the season, it's going to be important. We we keep saying after every game. Eventually, the Chiefs offense is going to click. They're going to get it back. They're going to start to figure it out. They just really haven't. And so Not I think you have times. You have to start wondering, is this the new normal for Kansas City? Are the days of them throwing 40-some points up on a game week in and week out that you can expect and it make it look like a video game week in and week out? Are those days done? 
and, and I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't want to say, yeah, I think that they're done, but at the same time, you know, NFL defenses and defensive coordinators are pretty smart and they're pretty good at adjustments. And it I mean, took a little while. I mean, Patrick Mahomes hacked the system when he came in to the NFL. Yeah. I mean, he well, truly to your, did. To your point, look at what happened to Robert Griffin III. Yeah. Look at what look at what happened to Chip Kelly's offense when yeah. he went to Philadelphia. And look at what's happening right now to Lamar Jackson. Lamar sure. Jackson, a couple of years ago, they're saying, oh, this guy is going to ruin football. You're going to yeah. have to have all players like Lamar Jackson, and the pocket passer quarterback is just going to be irrelevant. And now yeah. Lamar Jackson looks just kind of like a guy. And, you know, and if you want to run that who, way, fine. Who are, the, who are the best quarterbacks today in the NFL? I mean, you're talking Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and probably Josh Allen. And those are three fairly traditional drop-back sure. pocket passers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at look at Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. You know, they, Not they're having like, a good year. They're not having a great good year at all. And Russell no. Wilson was the guy. Cam Newton can't even start in the NFL anymore. So I you know, I'm not saying that that Patrick Mahomes is not going to work out long term. I think he absolutely will be. Especially His, if you believe in Andy Reid and Eric sure. Bieniemy, which everybody on this podcast does. Sure. I have no doubt that they will get back close. Will they be back to to the normal like you said? I would say definitely not this year. But the good thing, Tommy, what's great is Kansas City really hasn't put together a complete game yet where the defense has played as well as they can play and the offense has played as well as they can play. If they can do that in January and actually figure all that out, this will be the favorite to win the Super Bowl, whether or not they're the number one seed. And that's a big if they can do that. But I firmly believe this best version of the defense and that best version of the offense is the best football team in the league. But if they can figure it out is a huge question mark. That's why, you know, I think Brett Veach is one of, if not the best general managers in football, because he recognized, and I think he had this, this thought like the rest of Chiefs Kingdom did when the Chiefs got absolutely shellacked by the Buccaneers in last year's Super Bowl. That, you know what, the the recipe that we had for success worked uh, in 2020 in the Super Bowl, but it didn't work in 2021. We've got to go back to the drawing board and figure out how we can get some better supporting pieces around Patrick Mahomes and that offense. And it really started with the offensive line, which has been better this year than last year. They haven't been markedly great, improved. No, but they're, I'm not they're saying better. Great, but markedly yeah, they're, better. They're better than what they were. And you know, of course, like defensively now, that's been again another priority for Brett Veach. And you know, in season moves like bringing in Melvin Ingram and that sort of thing have helped tremendously. But you know, I go back to kind of one of the defining games that I think about in the Patrick Mahomes era early on, and there have been a lot of them, but one of them I think about was that Monday night football game when the Chiefs played the Los Angeles Rams on the road yeah. in LA and Kansas City, I think, cool, lost that game, game 54-51 to 51 or something like that was the final was score. I don't remember. Points. Yeah, I don't was remember it exactly what it was. the game in the history of Monday night football? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think we see that again. I just don't. I don't think that that's the way. I don't think that's the norm. Um, and I think a lot of people, it's the not. difference is, the difference is, is that for a long time with Patrick Mahomes, I think everybody started to believe that the way that the Chiefs offense was performing was no longer the exception to the rule. It was now the rule. It was the way the NFL was going to be forever. 
it's looking a little bit more like the exception to the rule now. It doesn't mean, I mean, look at the look at the Chiefs record right now. They're eight and four. They lead the division. They are, they're finding different ways to win. They're leaning on different guys. That's what makes the uh, a Super Bowl caliber team yeah. is finding different ways to win on any given night against any given opponent. So, you know, I, I'm not doubting the the skills, the athleticism, the talent that Patrick Mahomes has. I still believe he's a once-in-a-generation quarterback. I still believe he has an incredibly powerful and dynamic and high-octane offense around him with big-time playmakers. I fully, wholeheartedly believe that. But I feel a lot more comfortable you know, sleeping at night knowing that the Chiefs' defense can show up too when they need to. The Raiders are going to be coming into town. It'll be the second time that the Chiefs have played Las Vegas in a month, 12 o'clock for the kickoff, and that will be on CBS coming up on the 12th. That would be on Sunday. Next up on the docket, a huge in-state rivalry finally renewed for the first time in, I believe, 18 years, trailing by two at the half. Wichita State had a 12-point lead but could not hold, suffering a seven-and-a-half-minute scoreless drought as Kansas State came into the air capital and emerged victorious in the renewal of an in-state rivalry, stunning a sellout in-trust bank arena. It was not all black and gold, but it was predominantly black and gold. 65-59 yesterday, Sunday, for those of you watching the show, in a game, Tommy, where, again, the Wichita State defense was up to the task. Played great, played exceptionally well, but boy, was that Shocker offense smelly over that seven-and-a-half-minute stretch where the Shockers came up empty-handed 11 straight times. Tommy, is it more of an offensive problem for Wichita State, or is this a Kansas State defense that's going to make a mess of teams in the Big 12? Uh, I think it's 100% huge concerns with the Wichita State offense. And I don't want to take anything away from Kansas State. I was actually impressed by the Wildcats, um, and, and they were able who, to who do this. They didn't play great offensively no, they, they didn't. by any stretch. But the fact that they were able to win by seven points uh, or whatever the final six points against yeah. a Shockers team trailing by while, 12 in the second half and while they were missing Nigel Pack and they played without Nigel Pack that entire game. That's impressive. That is um, very impressive. But I want to go back to this thought about Wichita State and I'm going to take a second here and get on my soapbox, give Uh-oh. myself a pat on the back. For Uh-oh. being correct about something. And this is like, this is something that I, I don't expect you to recognize or know about because I don't think that you had, I don't think you heard me say this. Okay. But on Thursday, I had the distinct pleasure to fill in on Sports I Daily on KFH. I did hear you on the radio, but I, I, I may not have heard this take. So. Yeah, so I, I had the pleasure of filling in uh, for Bruce Hurdle uh, alongside Jacob Albrocht on Sports Daily on Thursday. And we were breaking down the Shockers' victory on Wednesday night against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. And we were talking about the upcoming game at Interest Bank Arena. And I said multiple times on that program, after they had went on the road and defeated the Cowboys, that I had some really, really big concerns and questions about the Shocker offense moving forward. And... That take was not fully supported. Not only was it not supported, and I love Jacob to death, but I I don't think Jacob really got on board with that. And I don't think that the couple folks that we had call in uh, really responded to that either. What were the concerns that you elaborated on? Yeah, there were a couple concerns. I think number one is the fact that, and I think it became pretty evident in the game on Sunday against the Wildcats, 
there's very little ball movement from the Shockers right now. Uh, it's a lot Fair. of run the ball down the court and just try to find a shot. Um, I, I didn't see a whole lot of set plays, um, and, and I don't have the, the stats. I guess I've got the stats here right in front of me. Um, I, I was looking at, okay, so they were the Shockers only had eight assists in the entire game, and that was an issue I thought in the Oklahoma state game as well, where they didn't pass the ball a whole lot. Um, and I think that that's an issue with coaching. I like Isaac Brown, but I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of offensive set plays being ran that are effective right now. Maybe he just hasn't found uh, the secret sauce that works with his team. I also had concerns about the starting five and the production that the starting five had. Uh, and I, you know, that was in the, that was from the Oklahoma state game and previously about how the shockers, they fall into holes pretty early. They get down by quite a bit pretty early. They have a hard time leading at halftime, which we saw again on Sunday against the Wildcats. Uh, and then my other big complaint or big issue is that something's got to be figured out with Tyson at the end. He is a national player of the year level player. But he, the last few games, has not played to that at all. Looking at his stat line on Sunday against the Wildcats, absolutely He's appalling. Not I mean, good. I think he was like three of 18 from the field. Uh, um, four of 20 and there you one go. of 11 from the I mean, three-point line. And, and he is two for his last 15 from downtown. And maybe like one or two of those looks that he had were actually quality looks in that game. I mean, the, he was jacking up a lot of bad shots. So offensively, there are significant concerns with the Shockers. Now on the defensive side of the floor, completely different They're story. Dexter Dennis is fantastic. Fantastic is locked down. Uh, you know, Morris Udezi is a solid defender down low, I believe. Um, but man, there are some significant issues with this offense moving forward. And I'll also say, before I turn it back over to you and we get into this more, I wholeheartedly believe, and I tweeted this after the game on Sunday, this is a much worse loss for Wichita State than it is a good win for Kansas State. In what, in what way do you mean? As far as I think we look at Wichita more, State has a higher profile. They have yeah. more to lose from this. I, I know agree. there are some yeah, Kansas State that. fans. It seems like Bruce Weber and maybe the announcers were kind of intimating that, oh, you know, Kansas State has a, something on the line here. You know, mm-hmm. you lose to a team like Wichita State. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, and, and maybe, you know, again, we're in December. There's a long way to go. Um, and maybe, maybe this Wildcat team is on the come up. I don't know that for sure. I'm still See, not What you're saying is you're thinking sold Kansas on that. State may tank and so this may be yeah. like a maybe a q3 loss yeah. for wichita State. i think this is a bad loss come tournament time for the shockers i think it will end up being that way and i don't think that when i look at the wildcats i don't see a tournament team anyway and so losing you know beating the shockers even I don't with think, nigel pack i mean i think that they'll be okay like nigel pack i think will make a difference i think that if anything and we can get into more you know the wildcats stuff down the road when i'm actually you know convinced one way or another about them but <laughs> I, I you know i see them maybe being an nit team at this point um you know so again i think this is a much worse loss for the shockers who have kind of been on the bubble you know here early on in the season i think we're going to look back on this yeah. in march and think it was a bad loss well you know the thing that i think you would have to be very frustrated if you are a shocker fan you have tyson at the end He's not going to have a great game every game. 
Uh, he's had a lot of good games so far. But he far. hasn't I mean, had a good game in the last, like, four games. Uh, I mean, four games ago, he put up 28 against UNLV. Uh, that, to me, is a good game. Tell me how he's done against Missouri, shots. Oklahoma State, and now Kansas State. I mean, he had eight, 18 points on 17 shots against Missouri. He was he was fine. He was okay against Missouri. He shot 41% from the field, 3 of 9 from the three-point line. Oklahoma State, he did not have a good he game. Was he was straight up bad points. against Oklahoma State. He only and he had was straight up bad shots. against Kansas State. I, I agree. But you're going to – that to me, that's not the biggest frustration. To me, you have Morris Udeze, who basically is unstoppable in this game. Kansas State has zero answer for him. And he scores 19 points on eight shots. We couldn't find him a couple more shots in this game. That to me is is kind of inexplicable because and, you know they're they're jacking up shots from you know that are are low percentage shots and Tyson Etienne led the way in that and I again I I like Tyson Etienne I like I his love game Tyson he, he had a bad shown, game he has shown that he is supremely talented I I expect more out of Tyson Etienne in well, I think he, yeah in, I think in high profile too. matchups and it just hasn't been there the last couple of games also. I think it's important as kind of the, I feel like the team's undisputed offensive leader, I think he should be able to recognize when there are other guys on the team who are having an on night against Oklahoma State. It was Ricky Council and, you know, and and he got his on Sunday. It was Morris Udeze. And I think that in those clutch moments, I agree with you. It's important for the guy who sort of leads the way offensively to recognize who the hot hand is. If it's not him, several big shots to to get the Shockers win earlier in the year. I just want to remind everybody he did, but he he didn't have that the last couple of games. I I understand. There were other guys who did, and it's important for Tyson Etienne to recognize. Maybe I don't have it tonight, but Morris Morris does. Let's get the ball down to Big Mo and let him go to work. Yeah, Um, honestly, much more. Some of that, again, some of, it's not all on Tyson Etienne. Some of that's on Isaac Brown, you know, and maybe there was, maybe it wasn't an emphasis that, hey, look, like we've got to go more inside to a Deze. Maybe that just didn't happen. I don't know. I'm, I'm not in the huddles, but I think that the, those are things that need to be focused on moving forward. Like if it's going to be a different guy every night, okay, that's fine. But once that's identified, then continue to go after it. I mean, I get it, and the, the the only thing I would counter with is that there are other guys who I feel like are have been letdowns to this point in the season. And the, the number one guy that comes to my mind is Craig Porter Jr. I understand it's a different standard because Tyson Etienne is the reigning American Player of the Year. He is the preseason Player of the Year. You know, he was in line, if he played well, maybe to be in some National Player of the Year conversations, depending on how the shocker season went. But... You know, Craig Porter Jr. has seven points over his last three games, 10 over his last four. And he has, you know, he did not have a field goal attempt against Kansas State. And over the last four games, he is two for 15 from the field. So he's just kind of been a non-factor. I'm not saying he's not doing other things that help the Shockers in terms of defense, but he's also committed eight turnovers in the last two games. So, you know, to me, it's a little bit of a of a stretch to put it all on Tyson Etienne. I get it. If you're the guy, you get the bulk of the credit when things go well and you get more of the blame when things go poorly. I understand that. From the Kansas State perspective, I thought that they rebounded the ball reasonably well. 
Wichita State is not a great fast break team, so holding them holding Wichita State to three fast break points is not necessarily you know that impressive to me. But uh, I, I thought that you know Casey Eziegu was you know was very very good. He was extremely efficient, fourteen points on five of six shooting. Mike McGurl and Marquise Noel were they were just okay. Ismail Masada and Mark Smith did not have really great games for Kansas State, but as you mentioned. They did not have their best player, but undisputably, would you agree, Nigel Pack, undisputed best player for Kansas State? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I think we've seen that throughout the early stretch of the season yeah. for Wichita so, or for for Kansas State. So, so, I, so Kansas State was able to to do enough with the guys that they had. They found a way to stop, probably going to be one of the best players in the American Athletic Conference. And, they, you know, so give Kansas State some credit here. They sure. had a game plan, and it worked. And maybe Tyson Etienne forced up some shots. I think, and, and Coach Brown said after the game, we needed to get the ball to Morris Udeze more. And I totally agree with that. Ricky Council only takes two threes in this game. Well, and what's a like, little bit surprising. Ricky some more shots? What's surprising to me about that is not only was Udeze incredibly efficient. I think he was, what, seven of eight? He was seven of four. eight. And he uh, made five of seven free throws. So, like, yeah. even if he's not going to get a shot, you know, Wichita State, the one thing that they did well offensively, they got to the line. They were 16 yeah. of 20 from the foul line. Go get fouled. And, you know, I, I don't pretend to be, you know, any kind of uh, basketball savant or anything. Sure. However, I do. Not are going to be taking Isaac right. Brown. Darren Boltwright is not going to be calling us sure. to assist Isaac Brown. But I do we know can... from watching the Shockers that one of the biggest things they rely on offensively are the ball screens. And those ball screens were not working against Kansas State. Credit Bruce Weber defensively. He had those ball screens read by his guys. And so rather than feeding the ball down low to Morris Udeze more when those ball screens weren't working, the Shockers were settling for, you know, off the dribble jump shots, low percentage shots that happened. And it looked like far... that's what Kansas State wanted them to do. Absolutely. Like, that's to let you take these. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the fact is, hey, look, if you're going to take a 20 footer, what's the percentage on that, you know, to drop? It's a lot less than if you feed the ball into Morris Udeze multiple times. So that that's, in my opinion, that's the bailout. If the ball screens aren't working, get the ball down low. And and again, that's on the coaching somewhat. It's on Isaac it Brown is. to recognize, look, we if the if the way we run our offense through ball screens is not working due to the Wildcats defense, we've got to go to our big guy down low who is making it work and converting. And they just didn't do that. I think had the Shockers done that more, we would be looking at a different outcome. Because I I, I wholeheartedly believe that especially with Nigel Pack not playing against the Shockers. Maybe you'll disagree with this, but I think, in my opinion, Wichita State is a more talented team. They put a more talented team on the court than Kansas State has, but Kansas State just executed better. I mean, honestly, I think Wichita State's a better team with Nigel Pack playing for Kansas State. That that's my opinion. That's you know, Kansas State fans can rake me across the coals. Which all they is want, why I go back to what my original point was. This is going to be a bad State. loss for okay. the Shockers when we get to March. The Shockers lost a three-game winning streak, and now all of a sudden the Wildcats have a three-game winning streak after back-to-back -back losses to Arkansas and Illinois. They finally pick up a you know kind of a marquee win for them after beating North Dakota and Albany. They beat the Shockers. Next up for Kansas State, the Big East Big 12 battle on Wednesday, 8 p.m. tip-off. ESPN2 at Bramlage in a color rush game. 
as they take on Marquette. Meanwhile, the Shockers drop to 6-2. Their three-game losing streak is history. They have lost both games by single digits this year. They've got Norfolk State coming in for the Teddy Bear Toss on Saturday. That is a 6 o'clock tip-off, and you will need the plus for that one. Final segment of the show here today is going to be a new one, one that I am calling News and Notes. It's been a couple of weeks, and these are stories that are a lot, not necessarily all deserving of their own segment. However, stories that I think maybe are a little too long to get into additions, corrections, and retractions. We still will have some of those, by the way. But uh, I did think we could spend the last few moments of this show before we get into our whip around talking about some of these stories. I'm going to start with Kansas volleyball getting into the Sweet 16 for the third time in program history, 2013, 2015, and this year with a four-set win over Creighton, back-to-back wins over number 19 Oregon and number 20 Creighton to move to 18 and 11 on the year. They've got the third-ranked Pittsburgh volleyball team coming up at Fitzgerald Fieldhouse. Key played great defense, even though that Creighton hit 245 as a team. Key with 302. And I thought that, you know, Creighton was hitting 245 and could have easily hit 280, 290 if Key didn't play the defense that they did in this match. So it's not like Creighton had an off night or didn't play well. KU took this with 21 kills from Caroline Bien, who is just a freshman. She hit 306 on 49 swings, which is insanity. Uh, 16 kills from Jenny Mosher. Bien is a freshman. Did, did I mention that? A Freshman, by the way, Tommy. So for Kansas volleyball to get in 18 and 11, it was not necessarily a given that at 8 and 8 in the conference, even the conference with the strength that the Big 12 has, that Key was going to get in. This is a pretty big run here for Ray Bouchard in the big dance. Yeah, shout out to Ray Bouchard and the entire program. I mean, you know, it was maybe a month ago that there were questions about whether or not the Jayhawks would even make it into the NCAA tournament. Oh, I definitely. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think that they uh, are in a position now, and we, we use this phrase a lot with teams like the Jayhawks in tournaments like this, where they're playing with house money. Um, you know, they're the Cinderella team, if you want to call it that. But ultimately, with there being questions, that, you know, a month ago about whether or not they would even get into the NCAA tournament, and now they're upsetting teams left and right, uh, that's a fun position to be in. It's kind of a let it ride mentality. Let's just go out there. Let's see what we can do. Let's take it one match at a time. And that's exactly what they've done. So hats off to them. It is a noon first serve for them coming up next for uh, the uh, KU volleyball team, noon against Pittsburgh, and I'm going to find you the television for that in just a moment. Uh, we Noon Pittsburgh on December 9th this week, so that'll be tomorrow as you're watching the show for the Jayhawks, and that will uh, I do not do not know if that will be on TV or not. Uh, probably going to be on the plus if it is anywhere. I don't think television has been announced for that quite yet. Next up, Newman basketball opening up play in the MIAA. The Jets fall to 0-2. They lose at Pittsburgh State. They are swept again at Missouri Southern. Very, very different games for both of these teams. Obviously, I was there for all of it as the voice of the Jets. The Newman women were completely outmatched, outclassed, did not come out with the right game plan. Coach Drew said after the game, it's on me. They threw zone at uh, Pittsburgh State, and it was 26-5 after 10 minutes, and they did not come back after that. They lost by 38. It was the biggest loss in a couple of years for Newman. Came back against Missouri Southern. They were down by 17 at Southern. 
Uh, they had a freshman did the Lions who had gone for 33 the night before. Set a Missouri Southern record. Lacey Stokes, little 5-4 Spitfire out of Missouri. Little lefty guard who torched the Broncos of Central Oklahoma. She scored 11 points, did not score in the second half. Down by 17 with three minutes left. The Jets hit the Lions with an 11-2 run. They score the last 7 and 85 seconds of the half. Trail by 8. They get as close as 1 several times in the second. They cannot quite put it over the hump. And so the Jets with 20 turnovers in this game fall to 0-2, but showed some big-time growth in that second game there in Joplin. The Jets with a couple of major heartbreakers. They lose both. They had the lead late in both the last five minutes. Pittsburgh State switched into a zone. The Jets had a seven-point lead in that one. Could not hold. Had a three from the corner to tie the game with a second left on the clock. Missed it against Missouri Southern. They have a six-point lead with about six to go or three to go. Can't hold on to that, and they lose by four. These games have been absolute wars for the Jet men, so much, much different. Going to be very interesting to see how both teams bounce back. The women will be playing an 0-2 Emporia State team. Now, they've played two very, very good teams, two nationally ranked teams in the MIAA last week, and they've got the number one score in the conference. And the Jet men will be playing an Emporia State team that also has the number one score in the conference. So if you like offense, you might want to come out to Fugate Gymnasium on Wednesday for the 5:30 doubleheader because Emporia State's bringing some big-time offensive players, but early challenges and setbacks to both of these Newman teams. But, you know, you beat Emporia State and Washburn this week in your two games. You go 2-2. Two and two. I think both teams are feeling very, very good about themselves going into the last week before dead week and the Christmas holiday in the MIAA schedule. Yeah, it certainly seems like for both of these squads, there's a lot of learning and growing right now. Um, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I'm not around the programs like you are, but it definitely seems like there is a, a culture that is being built. Um, and it's, you know, there not a lot of corners being cut. Like, it seems like there are things that are trying to be built the right way there at Newman against some really quality and really solid competition. So, you know, I can imagine that, the growing pains are difficult. Uh, it's tough, um, you know, but we're talking about some high level D2 basketball uh, in in this state and not just in the state around the area, around the region also. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously hats off to them. Hopefully they're able to get a couple of wins on, on the on the record for them. Just to get, give you an idea of these games, Tommy, the Jets last week, the Jet men, they had 14 turnovers combined. In the mm. two games. They turned it over five times against Pittsburgh State and lost. They turned it over nine times. And Pittsburgh State had the worst record in the MIAA. They had not beaten a Division II team. The Jets were picked 14th. Pitt State had the worst record in the league going into that game. And if you were to watch that game, both teams played exceptionally well. Both had less than nine turnovers. You would have thought you were watching the two best teams in the entire league, maybe in, in the entire country in that game. So there's just no margin for error. These games have been extremely exciting. Once again, the Jets in doubleheader action tomorrow as you're watching the podcast against Emporia State, 530 doubleheader, 130 doubleheader on Saturday against Washburn. The last story 
story that I've got to bring, Tommy. If you've got one, please feel free. Uh, KU falling to Dayton. They played in the ESPN Classic Thanksgiving weekend games. 6-1 heading into UTEP on uh, today. That'll be tonight at the T-Mobile Center for a 7 p.m. tip. They did play St. John's and blew out the Red Men, or the Red Storm, whatever they're called by now. Uh, 20 by 20, Hawks went on the road. Four Hawks scored in double figures. Christian Brown torched St. John's with 31. Ojai had 23. Dave McCormick, 15 on eight shots. He grabbed 13 rebounds. And I know that it was only like a 12-point game, but it just seemed like St. John's Tommy was never really in the game after, you know, about the first portion of the first half in this one. Yeah, the, that Dayton game, uh, I, I was thinking to I myself. Dayton was pretty good, by the way. They were good, but I was thinking to myself when that game got over, man, I'm a little bit bummed that we're not going to have a show right away because uh, I had a lot to say about that particular game because <laughs> we, we were off last week, so we haven't talked KU basketball uh, in, in quite weeks, a while. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Dayton game had some similarities to, similarities to the St. John game, St. John's game. Now, obviously, they beat St. John's, but... There are, I've got questions again about the KU offense. They're so supremely talented, uh, but I don't for the life of me understand why the team has to be ran through David McCormick all the time. I don't get it. I don't understand it. David it McCormick wasn't against St. John. I'm talking more about the Dayton game, uh, that everything was fed through David McCormick, who was not effective whatsoever. He had a good game against St. John. He kind of settled himself down. I felt like a little bit was a little bit more effective, but man, he was bad against Dayton. And uh, Bill Self kept force feeding the ball to him down low. I just don't get it when you've got dynamic playmakers like Remy Martin and Ochai Abaji on the team. And Christian Brown has played outstanding also. Why you feel like you've got to go to David McCormick over and over and over again. Of course, the defining play of the game for KU against Dayton was... Uh, they had an opportunity to, to retake the lead late in the game, and the play that was drawn up was, again, a, a post play down to David McCormick. Couldn't gather, couldn't make the shot, and the Jayhawks lose. So uh, that's a little frustrating. Um, I don't love what David McCormick has done so far this season. That might be another discussion for another time, but uh, you know, at least I feel like the Jayhawks got kind of a, a get-right game against St. John's before they continue their non-conference play. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily been the focus of the offense. I mean, in the, over the last four games, he hasn't had more than eight shots, and he only had six shots against Dayton. Now, against North Texas and Dayton, he did not play well at all. He went three for 12 in those two games. So he had two games that were bad in a row. But against Iona and at St. John's, he's played well the last couple of games. Four of six against Iona, five of eight against St. John's. So I don't know Do if necessarily a favor, he's though, running, running while you're, the offense through him. While you're going through his stat lines, though, tell me how many rebounds he's had. I mean, he had his best rebounding game against, again, North Texas and Dayton. He did not have two good rebounding games. Rebounded the ball fairly well early in the season, with the exception of the Michigan State game. Michigan State game, his rebounding was basically a non-factor. But, you know, hopefully he'll build on the St. John's. You know that I'm a David McCormick guy, always have been. So, you know, I would just push back to say they're not running the offense through him. But I will admit, in the Dayton game and against North Texas, he was not as effective as he needed 
needs to be for this team to be successful. 100%. I will also I will also say, and I don't want to just pile on David McCormick. I feel like I mean, you, you are, but go, well, go but ahead. I, but I, I've got other people I can pile on too. Um, I don't feel like Jalen Wilson has played up to his standards since he's no, been he's back this year. Slow start, slow start. Um, and, and you know, he obviously had some off the court issues to start the season. It might take him a little bit to sure. kind of get acclimated to everything, but he's got to get it figured out also. And then. Uh, don't be shocked, and I don't know this, but don't be shocked if next week during our holiday spectacular, we'll get a chance to hear from Weston Mills why Mitch Lightfoot is better than David McCormick. I'm just telling you oh, that's great. probably going to happen on the program next week. Well, in that case, let's just cancel the appearance in that case because <laughs> you know that that's not a discussion that I'm willing to have, uh, even though uh, Mitch Lightfoot this year, I mean, I'll be honest, this year front to back, Mitch Lightfoot has been better than David McCormick in terms of offense. He he has been. I mean, I'm do you really, have the do you have the plus minus numbers well, in front of you? I, I don't mean, have come the on. plus like, minus. Maybe I over I may have overstated this a little bit because I guarantee you, know, you David McCormick's overall numbers are in the minus in the for the plus minus, and that's that is possibly true. The plus minus. Uh, let's see. I don't have plus minus on these stats. I do know that David McCormick on the season is not shooting the same clip that he was last year. He's shooting 45%. Mitch Lightfoot is, Mitch Lightfoot is shooting 58%. So yeah, I would not agree that Mitch Lightfoot is a better player than David McCormick. However, I would definitely say he's playing better than David McCormick this year in the minutes that he's gotten. No question about that. Now, McCormick has been a much better rebounder. He's averaging two more rebounds per game than Mitch Lightfoot. But uh, And David McCormick has a lot more blocked shots than than Mitch Lightfoot has. But yeah, offensively, the in terms of the efficiency, McCormick, you know, when Weston last year was questioning David McCormick and he had the best points per shot on the team. So West Weston last year was absolutely insane. This year he would have a legitimate beef, a hundred percent, because this year he is not being beneficent, and that has hurt Kansas in some of these games. So without a doubt, uh, Ochai with twenty three in this game. By the way, he continues to be extremely impressive. Christian Brown's been a guy that's kind of been up and down a little bit, but obviously he's on a big, big high after that win as KU he scored thirty one for the Hawks. Any last second thoughts here? on the Jayhawks. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think we're still waiting for Remy Martin to fully break out and be who Remy Martin can be. Can be. Uh, and I think some of that is Bill Self. I love Bill Self to death. But I, I think that Bill also wants Remy to play within his system, uh, which is fair. He's the head coach. But I also think that uh, Remy has the opportunity to really start to turn things on. Uh, Ochai Abaji has been phenomenal to start the season. The best um, offensively. player for, best for player. sure. Uh, might be one of the top five best players in, in the country right now. Uh, the Jayhawks yeah. are ranked number eight, um, but I, I think the sky's the limit for this team. Bad loss against Dayton, but it was maybe a wake-up call that they needed. Um, I, I know that a lot of times Coach Self uses that early season loss that tends to happen occasionally to really get his team motivated moving forward. So I still like where the Jayhawks stand. Um, they've got probably more athletic, natural, pure athletic ability on this team and playmaking ability than we've seen in a long time. Yeah, Dayton number 64 in the Haslam metric. So, yeah, not the kind of loss. You know, I remember when they played in Maui and that Dayton game that KU won by like one score. And I, I thought this Dayton team is a Final Four team. 
KU kind of choked that one away against Dayton without a doubt. So uh, next up, as I mentioned for them, UTEP, 7 o'clock. That will be on Wednesday the 7th on the plus. I am so upset that I cannot watch the border war on Saturday. Not that I would ever give up being the voice of the Jets, 215, ESPN. Um, it just sucks. I mean, you know, what, what am I going to do? There's nothing I can do about it. It's the life and profession that I have chosen, but boy, I sure hope that the Jayhawks beat Missouri by about a thousand. Can I tell you a couple of different things about that border war? Yeah, you Uh, can. I have nothing going on. Um, but there's a good chance I will not watch it. Why? Uh, because it's, I'm on record. It's well-documented that I am anti-border war. I think it's a complete waste of time that the Jayhawks are playing this game. I don't think that they have any reason to play Missouri. I don't think it benefits anybody. The reason we play Missouri anybody. is because we hate them. I get it. But uh, as far as a legitimate reason, as opposed to just we hate Missouri and they hate us, I just don't see – I don't see a reason – it, I don't see a reason because for this game. the fans want you to play Missouri. Yeah. I just don't really care. I don't feel like it does anybody any good. Um, I'm I'm anti-border war in both football and basketball. There's no point. The, the rivalry ended. It's done. It's over with. There's no need to bring it back up from the dead, in my opinion. That, well, I mean, so. that's about the hottest take that anyone's ever uttered on the show. because It's the it's, right take. It's, it's the right not, take. It's but not the right take. Why is it the right? If Missouri ends up getting back, Missouri has been a top 25 program in the past. Yeah, if they get and, back there, I mean, they're not there this year, but and you Missouri can't also, these games years in advance. You don't know how good the program's going to be. Missouri also lost by double digits against UMKC. They lost by like 20 or 30 points against Liberty last week. Uh, I just don't, I don't see like a I reason said, for this. You schedule these games years in advance. You yeah. don't necessarily know what kind of a Missouri team you're going to get. It's not like scheduling KU where KU is going to be even, you know, kind of like sex and pizza. Even when KU basketball's not at its best, it's still pretty good. So at Missouri does not fall to that standard. Okay. I, I don't know what to tell you. You schedule these games in advance. The fans want it. You know, I, I, I don't understand that, that, that opinion, but that's just me. Let's go to our final segment of the I show. Thought you were, I thought you told me if I had something in this segment. You, I've given you opportunity. You, you have over something? Me. Yeah, I do have something. You then totally you skipped something. over me. I was hoping to get a Wichita Thunder hockey update, to be honest. That's exactly what I'm going to well, give you. Go is ahead a Wichita and do Thunder. it, because you that's were, what I want. Give the were, people what they want. You were going into the Wichita whip around. Regardless, it is what it is. Uh, Wichita Thunder update. Things are going pretty well for the Wichita Thunder right now. Good. They, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they played in, tell me all about it. They played in Tulsa on Sunday, uh, unfortunately lost that game five to two. However, the previous 11 games, the Thunder were nine, one and one and had a share of first place in the mountain division of the ECHL. Uh, so things looking pretty good for the Thunder after a fairly rough start to the season. I believe they started the season one and four or one and five. But since that time, we're able to really turn things around. They currently stand at 10, 6, and 1 with 21 overall points on the season. Uh, so, you know, ultimately, uh, they're, they're tied for second place behind the Idaho Steelheads. They're back in action this week, two games against the Allen Americans on Thursday and Friday. Thursday is a throwback Thursday game. Friday, Santa Claus will be in attendance for pictures oh, with really? the kids. So that's always a lot of fun. Uh, 
but a couple of other quick notes about the Thunder. Uh, two of their top players, Timmy Soderland and also Matteo Gennaro, were called up to Bakersfield. So they are no longer with the team. And their goaltender, Evan Beitenheis, set the Thunder record for consecutive starts in a season in a row. He started wow. 16 games in a row, broke the Thunder record for that. So pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Anything else for you, sir? That's all I've got. Good. I'm glad. Thanks for the update. You appreciate it. it. You know what else I'd appreciate? If we hit the music for the Wichita Whip Around. If it didn't fit into news and notes, we're going to get to it now. So, Tommy, start whipping first. What is your Whip Around story for this week on the Cockpot? Well, of course, if you live in Wichita, if you've lived in Wichita for any time at all, you know about the legend of iconic women's basketball player Lynette Woodard here in Wichita. She was honored by her alma mater North High School last week, a dedication ceremony and the new basketball court at North High School named after Lynette Woodard. Uh, of course, a lot of huge athletic names coming out of North High School over the years, including the one and only Barry Sanders. But over the weekend, it was Lynette Woodard's time to shine. You know, she's been in Wichita for a long time. Definitely a huge honor for sure. The school dedicated the court in her honor and her name is now on each sideline. She hasn't played for North High in nearly 45 years. So long overdue, but well-deserved for Lynette Woodard. Lynette Woodard also, of course, a fantastic collegiate career at the University of Kansas. Probably the best lady skin player that there has ever been for Wichita North. I can't and imagine that there's anybody else better. She was the first woman to ever play for the Harlem, the Harlem Globetrotters. Globetrotters. Yes, of Interesting course. Interesting fact. Uh, we, of course, have got to get you updated on state championship football. 5A Mill Valley is able to take it. The 5A championship, they beat Mays 28-14. to Derby fell in 6A, 41-21 to Blue Valley Northwest. So after talking about all this strength from this part of the state, did not get it done there where it mattered at the top. But of course, and thank goodness we are doing it this week and not next week, the Andale Indians do polish off the 13-0 season. The last five classifications, 3A on down to Class 8 players, uh, D1 and D2 eight-man football, all finished with perfect 13-0 records. Rossville, Opie, Mead, and Axtell won the other ones, but Andale is your 3A champion, and Andale absolutely blew up front neck 53-0 Indians. So, I mean, what more can you say about this program? You know, we, we've talked about Brandon Clark. We talk about Weston Schartz. We talk about Alan Shuckman and Dusty Trail and Rick Wheeler and all these great coaches. We probably should talk about Dylan Schmidt because his program at Andale is unbelievable. And I told people, I, I this happened when I was on the radio. I said, if you think Andale is good in 4A, I'm telling you, when they drop to 3A, it's it's. It's over. It is over when they get to 3A. They will absolutely run the classification for as long as they are allowed to go in and beat people's brains out. And that's exactly what they did. 54-14, they started out their first round game. They beat Holcomb 51-0. Concordia, sectional, 54-14. Southeast of Saline, 37-16. They're one close game. And then they beat Frontenac 53-0. This Andale team is set up for a run of dominance like maybe we've never seen before in 3A. 
Well, they've been dominant for a long time. I mean, it's it's not necessarily not like, winning state championships, though. right? But, but they've just had something right. to do with that. They've been dominant though for for a long time, at least running this part of the state for oh, a for long time. Definitely. Regardless if it's four A or three A, there's there's got to be something in the water there in Andale. I mean, they're they. <laughs> Because I, the I think a is, lot of it. Why didn't Weston get like a single drop of it? Everybody that comes out of Andale is magic, but then there's Weston. Like, yeah, I don't. That's I'm again. I'm sure that we'll hear more about that next week when he's on the program. <laughs> but uh, but no, there's got to be something in the water because I I I would I think it's got to be. You know, I don't, I don't exactly know what the youth football looks like in Andale, but they've got to be starting these kids up young and getting them, you know, in, ingratiated into the program that they're going to be running in high school at a young age. That's the only thing I can think of because it, it runs like an, a well-oiled machine year in and year out. And let's let's not forget Frontenac. They made it to the state championship game. They're not a slouch of a football they're team. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they, 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 they made it to the state championship game and got absolutely shellacked by Andale. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, again, what more is there to say about what Andale has done in football than we've already said and anything more than what Weston will say next week? I, I guess the, oh, the, there can't be anything more than Weston has to say next that's week. True. That's for sure. We go on to the additions, corrections, and retractions. One correction on both of us, Tommy. Last time Kansas City had under 300 yards of offense was actually just a couple of games ago. Happened against the Packers, so we were both wrong on that one. Any more for you in that category? I don't. I have nothing on this One episode. addition, or actually a couple of additions for me, Kansas State football is heading to the Tax Act Texas Bowl. We will have Kansas State football previewed for you next week as a segment on the show and buck o'neill is into the hall of fame i still don't completely understand how this happened or why it was allowed to happen because i remember when he got left out i thought it was the last time on the ballot and now he's in the only thing that i know is that it was overdue and the fact that he didn't get voted in the first time was a travesty i remember being in sports talk radio and one of my this was not a conversation we had on the air but one of my co-workers there was literally trying to tell me that buck o'neill should not be in the hall of fame he was saying oh his obp or his war was not high <laughs> enough i'm like are you the biggest doofus i said I may not have been this nice. Normally, I I think it's pretty bad form to just roast your friends or your former coworkers, especially if you don't work with each other every day anymore on Twitter. I think that's kind of actually pretty essy, to be quite honest. Um, but I, I literally blew this guy up and said, if you are using stats to argue Buck O'Neill not being in the Hall of Fame, you don't get it. This guy is an ambassador. Check. Negro Leagues. Check. You know, all scout for a thousand years for the Royals, check. I mean, ambassador for the game of baseball. Like, he has literally every non-tangible metric that you would use to put somebody into the Hall of Fame. I get that he's not a Hall of Fame player. I understand. But is he a baseball Hall of Famer? I mean, the answer is just, it's not only just yes, not only just hell yes, but duh. Like, why is this even a conversation? Of course Buck O'Neill is a Hall of Famer. It should have happened probably 11 years ago, maybe 21 years ago. Thank goodness it is finally going to happen in 2022. 
Yeah, incredibly well-deserved for Buck O'Neill. And just, again, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's not about the stats. It's about the impact. It's about the lasting impact that someone like Buck O'Neill has to the game. So, you know, that's that's huge. Uh, I guess I do have a couple more additions very quickly. Yeah, that's fine. You mentioned K-State football in their bowl game. Uh, Chris Kleiman announced that he has fired offensive coordinator Courtney Messingham. He will not be that's with the no team. Worthy during the bowl game, Colin Klein will be coaching the offense during the bowl game. No word yet if Colin Klein will be the permanent really? offensive coordinator or if he will, Chris Kleiman will go outside to hire someone else. And then uh, also KU football. Uh, there were a couple of assistant coaches that are not returning for Lance Leipold, but the news today Emmett Jones has left the team. He has joined Texas Tech University. Emmett Jones served as the interim head coach after Les Miles was fired earlier in 2021. Uh, and it looks like that there already is a replacement. Uh, Syracuse, one of the Syracuse assistant coaches will be joining KU football. And finally, my only other addition is that you mentioned Buck O'Neill in baseball. That reminded me that we are currently in the middle of the Major League Baseball lockout that happened uh, yeah, just true. a couple of days ago, as it relates to Wichita, I did see that the Wichita wind surge released a statement saying that the MLB lockout does not impact minor league baseball. And so they are still planning for opening day as scheduled next year in 2022. Yeah. First lockout in like over a decade, I think something Long like time. that. We'll 1994. Oh well, yeah, so yeah. almost two decades. So we'll see if they can get together and if mommy and daddy still love each other here in a yep. couple of months, so we can get uh, you know pitchers and catchers are due to report here in about two and a half months. So at least we'll we know that uh, allegedly it will not impact minor league. Yeah, baseball. at least the wind surge will be allowed to continue. That would be pretty rough to lose a season to coronavirus and then a major league knock uh, lockout trying to start a baseball tradition here in Wichita, that would be a tough pill to swallow for yep. sure. That is our show for this week. Once again, we appreciate everybody liking, subscribing, sharing, following the show at cogsports.com for the website. And of course, make sure you ring that bell notification if you're watching on YouTube or like the page on Facebook and share it with a friend. We really appreciate all of the love and the support. We will see you next week for episode 88, our last week of the year. We will preview the Tax Act Bowl. We will talk plenty of Chiefs and and uh, probably going to wrap up the show. I'm not sure we're going to get to David McCormick and the Jayhawks because next week, Tommy, you may have forgotten. It is our KU football season in review with Weston. Uh, a lot more excited to actually do this segment than I thought I was going to be based on how the first month of the year went. Uh, went. So uh, those will be the three main dockets uh, for us next week in our last show of the 2021 calendar year and the last show of what this is segment two of the Cogpod, correct? Season two. Yeah, season last, two will come yeah. to a close. Last one of season two, so the last uh, show of the 2021 calendar year will come up next week. So Weston is planning to join us. So we will plan to see you then. It'll be dropping on Tuesday as normal. So hope to see you then. Thank you so much for the support. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, if they aren't following at CogPod on Twitter, first of all, shame on them, but they should also be following you on Twitter. And where would that be? You are damn right. They should absolutely be following me on Twitter. You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. And it's a lot more fun to follow him on Twitter hey, when his you, Twitter is not unlocked is not locked. Yeah, all you gotta do is follow me for brilliant takes like the border war is useless. Uh, yeah. 
I'm not sure about that. Or if you want more correct takes that are not necessarily politically correct, you can follow me at BECRIPS, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. Thanks so much for watching or listening. We'll see you next week on The Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.